0: It is ABC Radio, you're with Rod Quinn, we've got David Kilby paying tribute to the great B.J. Thomas pretty soon. But before that, we head over to Boston, in the great state of Massachusetts. Celeste Katzmasten is our guest there. Celeste, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Now, Celeste, let's get to uh, some major news about an infrastructure project that was going to be one of the biggest ones in not only the US but Canada as well. It was kind of a key argument in the 2016 election, and it was one of the ones that when I read either side of it, I could understand the arguments why you would build it or why you would not build it. I think Donald Trump was very much in favour of it. Others were against it, but now it looks like the Keystone Pipeline, as it was known, is not going to go ahead. So just give us a brief idea of what was the Keystone Pipeline? Why was it such a big deal?
1: Yeah, the Keystone Pipeline was a very big deal in terms of infrastructure, in terms of energy, in terms of environment. This was going to be a massive pipeline from Canada to the middle of the United States to the state of Nebraska. And it's been a political football in the United States for a really long time. And so uh, President Obama uh, was trying to, you know, limit it, shut it down. President Trump reversed that. And then President Biden reversed reversed that. So now it is looking like the company in Canada that was trying to build the Keystone XL pipeline is pulling the plug on that. So very, very big news for for a lot of reasons. And, and as you say, there are arguments on both sides for why it should or should not have been built.
0: So, uh, you know, obviously, there were uh, ecological problems that uh, a, a, a pipeline that you know, long, was going to go across all sorts of uh, places, you know, whether they'd be uh, national parks, perhaps, or where people were living and all that sort of stuff. But the more I read about it, the more I thought, you know, there doesn't seem to be too much wrong with this pipeline. Am I wrong there? Or what was I missing? Yeah, I think it, it definitely uh,
1: depends on your perspective. If you are somebody who wants a job working on an oil pipeline or if you want some, you know, potentially some benefit to your uh, the cost of using fossil fuels, then you might say, look, this pipeline is a great idea. This is a massive project that will employ lots and lots of people to, uh, to get it set up, to build it, to maintain it. But at the same time, you had people arguing that, you know, obviously... Uh, People want the United States to... Depend less on fossil fuels and other sources of energy instead um, You have people who say that this would be disruptive to the environment. It, there's a risk of spills. There could be effects to uh, Indigenous lands, you know lots of reasons to be against the pipeline And so it ends up sort of blowing with the political winds to some extent and uh, looks like in this case The company is just you know tired of years yeah. and years of fighting over this thing and they're gonna uh, Go in some other direction.
0: So I mean quite literally another direction I mean, that oil will still be there. Will it be dug up and sent elsewhere, or what are they going to do with it?
1: yeah you know i think that obviously they're gonna have to find some different way to uh you know to take advantage of that natural resource but this is something they've been working on for uh, something like a decade maybe more than a decade so uh they're gonna they're gonna have to figure something else out they're just not going to be able to get the the legal permits the green lights they need to run this thing from canada to uh to the united states
0: I suppose they could wait for another three years or four years or so, when a new administration might give them the go-ahead. But it takes so long to get these things going. I don't blame them for not wanting to go ahead with it, given that you know the government could change and, and someone's opinion changes, and oh yeah, now we're going to build it. It just—it seemed like a shambles from the start.
1: Yeah, it's really been, and we're talking again about this is a massive project. We're talking about over eleven hundred miles of pipeline, uh, carrying something like eight hundred thousand barrels of uh, petroleum a day from Canada uh, to the Gulf Coast. So this is this is a, a major project, and you know, obviously there are there have been. Um, you know, environmental disasters associated with pipelines mm-hmm. and a lot of disruptions. So people, you know, we are uh, experiencing some spikes in gas prices right now after a you know, decent amount of time of very low prices. So people may look at that and say, look, why, why should the average person suffer for a pipeline that will only affect certain parts of the United States and the people that lie in the path of the pipeline? Mm-hmm. So lots of, uh, you know, lots of arguments, as you say, mm-hmm. about uh, why it should or shouldn't have been
0: not only that it comes off the back of a cyber attack on a major pipeline uh in the southern and and eastern united states as well so people would think well hang on a minute is uh, a pipeline's the way to go anyway or perhaps we need another one because uh, look how with the, the damage that was caused when that was went offline for a week
1: yeah, so we definitely have been experiencing some uh, ransomware attacks, some uh, you know malign foreign influences there. Not even just in pipelines, but also in uh, meat processing. Yeah. I think that recently a company just spent millions of dollars in a, a ransomware attack. So these things definitely are vulnerable, and it raises a lot of questions generally about uh, U.S. infrastructure and cybersecurity. There, there is you know ample evidence that uh, we can be targets in all sorts of ways.
0: Well. The meat, I believe it was only fourteen million dollars was the i mean only it's a lot if you don't have it, but now they've <laughs> they've got the money back i mean or most of the money, and in fact, the reason they didn't get all the money back was because of the fluctuation in the price of Bitcoin because these ransomware was played in Bitcoin or in some cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and it looks like they've got most of that money back from the ransomers. They found out who they were and they managed to get it back so i don't know let's hope that that you know stops you know, this is going to be bigger and bigger. I mean, is it not the case that if these people can shut down pipelines, if they can, uh, you know, hold the meat industry to ransom as well, I mean, there's nothing that they can't do. they do it to hospitals. If they did it to an electricity grid over an entire country, for example, like the United States, I mean, who knows what would happen to the world economy?
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, just even, I mean, running out of electricity, people, you know... uh, You know, vital vital operations may have backup, but yeah, during a major heat wave, it could actually lead to extreme suffering and death. The one I really worry about personally, and I'm not saying anything that these uh, hackers don't already know, but anything having to do with the water supply, either dams or water treatment in particular, really terrifying stuff.
0: That is terrifying exactly right and they do listen to the program celeste so if something happens i'm blaming you uh celeste yeah, don't, <laughs> don't do it guys <laughs> well, yes that's assuming they listen to us um now here's something that may affect australia uh, the president joe biden has announced or will be announcing plans to donate 500 million Pfizer vaccines to countries in need that does include australia we need more of them how much of them do you think we're going to get uh, that is a good question.
1: I'm not sure yet exactly how. I hope. I hope the right amount, though. I don't I think we're going to get would any. Certainly support that.
0: Um, well, <laughs> I mean, it, does this mean that there are too many in the US, or they're going to ramp up production and give them to countries that obviously in need? We're talking about, you know, countries uh, like in Africa.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, this is uh, being done through COVAX, which is the organization that is distributing uh, vaccine, mainly in places where they can't afford enough shots. So I think we're talking about more in the developing world, obviously, uh, that would exclude Australia and places like Australia. But um, it's not it's not that we have necessarily like a huge oversupply. We're we're getting there on vaccine. I think we have about 140. 41 million people in the United States who are fully vaccinated, which is about 43% of, of the people that we want vaccinated. Um, but generally I think this is sort of a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a moral issue. It's a diplomatic issue. The United States really wanting to be out there taking the lead, uh, showing strength and leadership in, um, getting this done, dealing with the the pandemic. Obviously the world is extremely interconnected and, uh, we want to make sure that if we do have the capacity, uh, to help distribute these shots where they are needed and maybe not getting to people for financial reasons, um, that we that we are able to play a role in that, and we do.
0: And that is the kind of world leadership that we are seeing now, possibly with the Biden administration. I'm not sure what would have happened. We don't know what would have happened if uh, Donald Trump had remained president. He was certainly, you'd have to say, at the forefront of wanting the vaccine to be developed. He, he made that a priority, and uh, he's certainly to be congratulated about that but in australia i think what is it one percent of people have had both uh, doses of the vaccine if they it's a two dose vaccine so yeah wow is it's shocking it truly is shocking now a lot of people have had one dose a lot you know but boy we are really missing out that's why we need this pfizer because people are hanging out they want the pfizer for some reason
1: really that's interesting and uh uh, you know there's a few obviously there's what the pfizer moderna well mm-hmm. there was the johnson and johnson vaccine that obviously we've talked about on this program yeah. uh, about some of the issues with that one but uh, largely uh, all of the vaccines are much much better than uh, any kind of uh, of uh, infection with covid 19 so i would say i'm not a doctor uh, and i don't play one on TV even but i would say that if you know anybody who has an opportunity to get any one of the major vaccines i, I think it's it's Wildly more protective
0: than going it on your own. Exactly right. Now this is a fascinating story. This speaking of drugs and approval and all that sort of thing, because it's twenty years since apparently we've had a, uh, a you know a new drug to try and beat Alzheimer's or deal with Alzheimer's or dementia. And there was great news, it seemed, this week when the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, we have the Therapeutic Goods Administration here in Australia, but the FDA announced that there was this new drug that maybe was going to slow the onset of Alzheimer's depending on when you started taking it. Connor, they buried the uh, the lead here and that is that it's going to be $56,000 a year so that's a, you know, more than $1,000 a week to take this drug. Obviously, you know the more development that goes on, the more effort from government perhaps will reduce that. But a lot of people think, no, 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 this doesn't actually have what it takes. Tell us the story of this, the development of this drug.
1: I think you're completely right in saying that people are looking at this drug um, with uh, with uh, great optimism in some cases and, and great hope. And I think anybody uh, who has had uh, Alzheimer's affect their family, uh, including myself, um, wish that this drug or so, uh, an effective drug could have been developed sooner, could have been released to market sooner, could have been more uh, accessible and affordable to a lot of people. But um, the FDA... FDA is coming under a lot of criticism and some people have even resigned from the FDA over uh you know the initial approvals of uh, of this drug it's called home. Adhelm, excuse me, um, because there are real questions about whether it works. You know, basically what it does is it reduces something called amyloid beta in the brain, which are these like clumps of matter that um, develop in the brain and they can kill brain cells. And so this drug is thought to reduce them, uh, cut them down. But The evidence, uh, according to a lot of people in the scientific community, isn't really that effective, that it works. I think that there is a feeling of of desperation uh, from people who have not seen Any drugs developed, uh, released that uh, could help people who are suffering from Alzheimer's or are seeing the onset of Alzheimer's, which is again really a, a heartbreaking thing. Having mm. seen this in my own family, it's uh, it's uh, it's one of the most painful things you can yeah. you can imagine or experience. But uh, some people are saying this is just. Uh, way too optimistic. And also, yeah, it's really expensive. What are people going to do to be able to access this drug? You can just imagine, uh, you know, what kind of uh, chain reaction that sets off.
0: Well, who could afford it? And also, when do you start taking it? That's another thing. Uh, For any Alzheimer's drug, I mean, Mm -hmm. you talk about it in your own family, certainly in my family, and my father died of it uh, 10 years ago. Now, they reckon that he probably developed Alzheimer's 15 years before the symptoms became clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens then? Do people just start taking these drugs long before they show any signs in an attempt to slow the onset? And then if that, the drug does have an effect, well yeah I mean we'll never know whether or not they were going to develop Alzheimer's anyway because I they'd never show the symptoms. like it's a sometimes you may not even know uh, until after someone's died and you, you do an autopsy or a post-mortem in the brain. So yeah, look, what's going to happen? I mean who how do they reduce the uh, the cost of these drugs without people buying them at fifty six thousand dollars a year?
1: Right. And then there are questions about who who can get them, who can afford them, how much yeah. coverage there is for how long of a course of treatment. And then, as you say, there is you know there are a lot of questions about when you start taking it, who starts taking it, how it affects different kinds of people at different stages in the progression of the disease. And I think the, the main outcry here is that just on the very basic level, there is not super conclusive evidence that it's going to help. So are you going to sell people? people essentially uh, hope some yeah. kind of, uh, you know, a hope drug without really knowing if if it will help them. Um, and how will people's lives be impacted in, in that way? It's 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 a tragedy, no matter how you look at it.
0: You're right when you say they're selling hope, because, I mean, this is my greatest fear. Certainly, you know, I have this family history of it. I'm working in a job that is undoubtedly contributing to Alzheimer's, when you don't get enough sleep and you work all night and all that sort of stuff, I have no doubt in the wide world I will probably get it. If there is a drug that you can take that may defeat it or slow its onset or, you know, not, you know, sort of some way mitigate the uh, the effects of it, yeah, of course I'd love to take it, but I'm not going to be taking it at $56,000 a year, which in Australia is probably about $80,000 uh, a year. So, but people yeah, want, I mean, people want drug, something. They're... You know, everyone's going to get this, of perhaps, course. at some point. This is the greatest fear of certainly my generation. Is what's going to happen to our brain? Are we going to lose our mind in the next twenty years? Certainly, that's what I'm thinking. Um, and many, many other people have that same fear. And you know, of course, you're going to hang on to anything that's good. You think everyone is looking for the anti-Alzheimer's drug. You know, whoever wins it's going to be there in Stockholm getting the Nobel Prize, aren't they? Or yeah.
1: I would something yeah I would I would think and you know long term if you have a drug that is you know widely effective and maybe there is ultimately a generic form if it becomes more yes. uh, you know w- w- widely uh, available for a manufacturer as a generic and distribution as a generic then the costs come down or you know insurance companies uh, are more willing to cover the treatment or part of the treatment but for the average person it does really it really does contribute to uh, at least what we're seeing in these very initial reports you know a real a real divide sort of a a class or economic divide i mean who who doesn't deserve to um, be free of the fear of of the kind of symptoms and experience that you talk about and that we've all seen
0: exactly right and finally speaking of things that cost a lot of money university in the united states is certainly the case and harvard in particular probably the most famous university in the u.s and certainly the well, one of the many famous universities in the greater Boston area, one of the great universities of the world. It costs a lot of money to go to Harvard. A lot of people go there on a scholarship, but not uh, this girl uh, Verda Teta. Is that a name? Uh, yeah, Verda Teta. Verda Teta, tell me the Verda Teta story.
1: Yeah, this is something that uh, that I wanted to share with you because I thought it was really inspiring and I think for a lot of people maybe sort of shocking too. So, uh, this young woman is uh in her family are immigrants from Ghana and she's a a stellar student, really, you know, high achiever. Um, and she's getting a scholarship to go uh, from high school to Harvard, lots of awards. So at her graduation she got $40,000 scholarship grant. $10,000 for each each of the four years, um, to contribute to her books and her cost of living and so on. And, uh, she accepted the award, uh, gave it a few minutes, thought about it, then went back up and turned it down.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Because she said, yeah, she said that there was another student out there. She believed that was more in need of that money than she was. And they should, um, they should award that money to another student who, who had a, a greater need, which is astonishing on many, many levels. Um, not something that you hear about very often, but I think sort of speaks to uh, sort of speaks to her character, also speaks to the incredibly, incredibly high cost of higher education, which is yeah. astronomical. I mean I, more than, I would say almost triple what it was when when I went to
0: school twenty, twenty five years ago. Unbelievable. But what's going to happen to the person who gets that scholarship? now that Verda has uh, turned it down.
1: I hope they get a great education. I hope
0: so too. I hope they don't go to uni and uh, squander their time there. So is Verda going to – I mean, she's still going to go to Harvard. Um, yep. But she's got other scholarships, or is it just that this was just added on top of the ones she'd already got?
1: yeah, that was it was it was an extra award, uh, you know, for general excellence in in scholarship. Wow. Uh, but you know she she comes from a family that uh, obviously takes education very seriously. I think her mother actually got her own uh, college degree from a community college when she was forty seven years old. Um, so this is something that is is very meaningful to her family. But uh, you know, this young woman, she's actually going for pre-med uh, looks like from the reports and just wanted to sort of share, um, share the, the benefits that are, that are out there with somebody who, who can really use them to forward their own education as well.
0: And we wish her the very, very best. I hope she grows up to be president or better still be a doctor because we need more doctors (laughs) than we need presidents, quite frankly.
1: Why not both? (laughs) Uh, Well, why
0: not both exactly? Or what? Well, Jill Biden, she, well, she's not a doctor, medical doctor, but she's a doctor. Um, Thank you very much for that, Celeste. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Celeste Katz Marston in Boston, in the United States.